Food, food. Jeremiah chapter 33, if you'll be turning in your Bibles. I want to say again this morning, welcome to visitors. My apologies for not being out front. Just a little technical difficulties and standing long lengths of time, but it's all going to be good. But it's good to have visitors here. I appreciate you guys joining with us. I know we've got some incredible churches around this town. I'm, I'm very thankful when the Holy Spirit leads somebody to join us here as a visitor. If you don't mind, there should be a packet of information in a pew in front of you. We're waiting to get some more made. So if they're missing, if you look around, there should be a package there. There's some out on the table. Inside, there's a connect card. If you don't mind, if you take and fill that out. And out in the foyer, there's a black box right here in the middle. If you just put that in after the service, I um, sure would appreciate that. Also, for church members, you guys, if you have any prayer requests that you need to add to the prayer list, remember those connect cards are for you as well. So, um, that, that, is, that has replaced the yellow prayer cards that we used to have. So if you got anything you, you need to, to add to the prayer list, you'll just put it on the connect card and, and add it to it. Put it out there or leave it on the table anywhere out front. We'll make sure we get it. Jeremiah chapter 33. This is a text that God gave me several years ago. This is a text that God gave me when he was... Dealing with me, verse number three, specifically, I remember the morning in Sunday school. Valerie, Valerie probably remembers the morning in Sunday school um, as we were discussing some things. And, and um, Brant Duncan was there and we were discussing this verse and God really stuck this verse in my heart and began to work. And to be honest, this has a lot to do with, with how I ended up being a pastor. Who knows what God has in store for your life, right? Any of you right now think that's the last thing I'm ever going to do? Welcome to the pastor's party. Well, that's exactly what probably every pastor has ever said. That's the last thing I plan on doing. It's the last thing I'm ever going to do. But hey, God has a plan. But here's what the word of God tells us. Jeremiah chapter 33, beginning in verse number one, says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the second time, while he was yet shut up in the court of the prison, saying, Thus saith the Lord, the maker thereof, the Lord that formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. Verse number three, from God himself, call unto me, and I will answer thee. Call unto me, and I will answer thee. Call unto me, and I will answer thee. But he adds to it, show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. This morning, for just a little bit, I want us to take a look together at the subject of earnest prayer. God, thank you so much for being so incredibly good, so incredibly kind, so incredibly loving, so incredibly patient. And thank you, God, for, for, for your forbearance, God. Thank you, Lord, for pouring your spirit out on us. Thank you for salvation that we didn't deserve. Thank you for this precious book, this love letter, God, this teaching, this instruction. Thank you, God, for thorns in the flesh, things to remind us, God, of a need to pray, things to remind us to pray for others who are hurting, God, the, the things that we need that will make us more earnest about prayer, God. Thank you for loving us enough to teach us and to shape us and mold us and make us, God. I pray you take this this morning. I pray, God, you touch each heart, Father. I pray that everything be done according to your perfect will. We love you, God. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. So here in our text, God is the one that instructs us to pray. Over in the New Testament, in the book of James, chapter 5, verse number 16, it tells us that, that we're to pray for one another that we may be healed. 
But then he gives us this assurance that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So that righteous man doesn't mean that you have to be some super spiritual person. That righteous man doesn't walk around being holier than thou or thinking that you're better than the rest. A righteous man simply means that you have to be a Christian. A righteous man is to be washed in, in the blood. See, Christianity begins with the prayer. Christianity begins with a prayer. Father, forgive me of all my many sins. Lord, I come acknowledging my sins. I come confessing my sins and asking you, Lord, to forgive me of my sins and to save my soul. So Christianity begins with a prayer. But prayer after that is how we learn to talk to our Father. The, the word effectual, fervent, it comes from a word that means that we're to be efficient. In prayer, It derives from a word that means that we're to be powerful in prayer. So throughout the scriptures, the word of God consistently instructs us to pray. It consistently instructs us that we're to be earnest in prayer. Throughout the life of Christ himself, he sets examples all throughout his ministry that we're to be a people of prayer. That word earnest there means that it is to be a serious matter. It's something that is to be of extreme importance to us. So, so bottom line, prayer has the matter. Our communication with God needs to be a top priority in our lives as Christians. So the question for you and I this morning, is that our position? Is that our position on prayer? Is it a top priority in our life? And if it is, does it show? Does it show in our life? Does it show in the way that we pray? Three things you see there in those three verses. Number one, Jeremiah is shut up in the courtyard of the prison. If you study it out there, the Jews, they're still in a time of exile. And he's still shut up. So he can't just go out and verbally proclaim the word of God. But we see the same thing that we've seen recently in a message. Prayer isn't just offered from the mountaintops. In the mountaintop experiences of life and the good times, we need to remember to pray and be thankful for all that God has given us. But, but we're also to pray in the valley and, and to pray down in the dark times. It's not, not just something from the good times. Bottom line, there's never a time and there's never a place when we're not instructed to pray. There's never a time, there's never a place that we're not supposed to be praying. There, there, there is never a time and never a place where God will not hear us and speak to us if the position of our heart is right. The thing that we see there in Jeremiah going into the second and third verse. This isn't what Jeremiah said to God. This is what God said to Jeremiah. So we see that, that it is a two-way street. Listen, if we want to see God move, then we're to be a people of prayer. If we want to see God move. In our services, and our lives, and we're to be a people of prayer. God says, very simply, call unto me. That doesn't need a Hebrew word study. That doesn't need the strong concordance. That doesn't need a lot of definition to put out. God said, call unto me. Come to me. God said, sit down. Take your shoes off. Let's talk a while. Come, come, come on into the throne room of mercy and grace that, that we might sit down. Just sit down and let's talk for a little while. And here's, here's what God says. He assures us that if you will call unto me, if you will come and sit down and pray unto me, I am more than you're looking for. 
If you'll just come sit down and call unto me, I am more than you are expecting. I, I am greater than your needs. No matter what you're coming to me for, no matter what you're coming about, if you'll just come sit down and talk to me in prayer, I'm greater than all your needs. Therefore, when you call unto me, I can and will do exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask or think. But it starts with us. It is our job to pray. It is God's job to answer. It is our job to trust him to answer what is best for our life. If we're faithful to do our part, God is faithful and God will do his part. Prayer is the vital part of the Christian life. We just looked at it from number one. There is no Christian life without prayer. Everything starts with prayer, but, but everything about that is the building of the relationship between God and ourselves. How many people do you never talk to, do you never spend any time with, but you have very close relationships? See, relationship involves time. It involves communication and, and, and talking together. So it is prayer that draws us closer to God. It is prayer that gives us that relationship with God that, that we're looking for. Prayer is where we give thanks to God for the countless, many, wonderful, undeserved blessings that he has freely poured out onto our life. Anybody say amen. That song, I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life. Is there anybody in here that can honestly sing that song? I can. I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life. I see it in every trial. I see it in every storm. I see it in every bad day. I see it in every good day. I see it in every pain. I see it in every rejoicing. I can look back over the course of my life, even when I was still lost and on my way to hell and had never trusted Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. I can look all the way back then on some of my worst days and see where God kept me alive. There ain't a person in here that can't look back beyond our salvation into our stupidity and see where God could have just let us die. And honestly, we probably should have, but we'd be in hell. And God, through his mercy, kept us alive long enough to get saved. There's not a one of us that can't sit down and look and see the evidence of his goodness. Prayer is, is where we bring our petitions to God. It's a conversation with God, but conversation is a two-way street. So it is through prayer that God will guide us. It is through prayer that God gives us directions. It is through prayer. Anybody know what, what God's will for your life is? Nobody. Wake the person up beside you and ask them, do they want to know God's will for their life? You know how we find out? Talk to him about it. Seek him about it. And, and then trust him to show us. It, it is through prayer that we can have victory over the enemy. Anybody facing any battles in this life? Anybody facing some storms? It is through prayer that we have victory over the enemy. It is through prayer that we can overcome temptations. The devil throwing anything at anybody? Prayer is our strength. It's through prayer where we can be empowered to reach others for Christ. Listen, we have nothing to offer that lost and dying world out there except for one name, it's Jesus. But, but it is through prayer in the mornings that we can be empowered to go out into a lost and dying world and be anointed with the Holy Spirit that people might see Christ in us and hear Christ through us when we talk to him. So week one, 
We looked at churches die because they're living in the past. Nothing is going to move them from their traditions. Tom Rainer's book, I Will, he gave an example of just such a church. He said it was a church that the pastor made a proposal that he wanted to move church start times from 11 to 1030. And he pleaded his case. Be honest, it takes you back to the 1990s right over here in this building when Charles Chapman came and began to present the exact same case. I want to move services up to 1030. I want to start at 1030. And this pastor has the same plea. He gives us a longer time to worship. Can I just tell you one hour is not enough? One and a half ain't enough. We try, and I still don't get out of here by 12. And everybody said, amen, go ahead, I know. An hour and a half is just not enough. But here's what he said. It gives us an hour and a half. It gives us a little more freedom of worship. It gives us a little bit more time for the Holy Spirit to work. It gives time for God to show up and, and do things. And, and, and then, he, then he made these proposals. <laughs> he said it not only lets us worship, have a longer worship, and we still get out around 12, but he said it's easier on younger families, and it, and it may be more appealing to visitors. One of the church members stood up and said, I don't know why you're always talking about people who are not members of this church. This is our church. Our needs come first. There was a chorus of amens came from the congregation, and the pastor tabled the idea. Yes, the church died. It took 20 years. Over the next 20 years, they had eight different pastors. One of them made it into his fourth year, which means the other seven pastors averaged about two years apiece. In all of his books, Rainer consistently talks about problems within churches that are inwardly focused, self-centered. What about me? He says consistently that there can be no personal fulfillment from a self-serving attitude. So here's what I gained from his studies. If I want myself to be satisfied, then I need to invest into others. If I want myself to feel the presence of God and the freedom to worship, I need to invest in others. If I want everyone in this church to be truly blessed, and I promise you I do, I lay awake at night praying for that because I want God to bless you, bless your lives, bless your families, bless your homes, fill you with the spirit when you come in here to worship. I desire that, but if that's what we're going to have, then we need to be focused on reaching others. Week one was about letting go of traditions, just worship God. Last week, week two, we looked at why mercy. Churches die because they have no heart of compassion for the lost. They, they have no room in their lives for mercy. Well, this morning is part three, earnest prayer. Lack of prayer. Y'all ready? You really need to remember these two. One of them right here is, is on your bulletin. You really need to remember these two statements. Lack of prayer is simply ignoring God. Wait, what? What did he say? Lack of prayer is ignoring God. To not talk to God, to not spend time in prayer is ignoring God. It's not involving him in your life. It's not including him in your problems. It's not involving him in your marriage. It's not involving him in raising your children. It's not involving him in your finances. It's not involving him in your job. It's not involving him in your witness as Christ. To, to, to not pray is to ignore God. And when God is ignored... Failure is inevitable. Churches die when prayer becomes a formality rather than people earnestly seeking a move of God in their lives. So, so before, before I go on, I, I want to I suggest be real and look at faith for a minute. 
that okay? Is that fair? You know, some, sometimes you got to point some things out before you realize where you are. So sometimes you just, you just got to be real. You just got to kind of <clears throat> acknowledge some things. And, and this, this isn't, this is just to identify some, some observations. It, I'm not saying it's conclusive to everybody. It's certainly not to browbeat. And, and it's not something to try to guilt men into coming to the men's prayer meeting on Tuesday night, which, by the way, the men's prayer meeting on this Tuesday night, we won't even have. Um, Brother Nadine's service will be next door in the chapel. Um, visitation at 530, services at 630 over here. So we won't be having the men's prayer meeting on Tuesday night. But if we were, let's just, let's just talk about that prayer meeting for a minute. And just use that as an example of, of the prayer meetings we do. If the number of people who attend our prayer meetings and the seriousness of heart that is involved at those prayer meetings, if those things are the temperature gauges of the church, we're not in the best position. Uh-oh. If the number of people that attend prayer meetings and the position of our heart during those prayer meetings, if those are temperature gauges of the church, we're not doing too good right now. Our attitude as a whole towards prayer isn't overwhelming. I don't know why they say this. Doesn't make any sense to me, but this is what they say. It's a scary thought if that's even a possibility, but this is still what they say. They say that a church over time will begin to take on the personality of a pastor. Well, number one, God help you that that never happens. But if that's true and it happens over time, well, we're working on about nine and a half years. So here's reality. If that's true, then what I see is a reflection of me. If, if, if the church takes on a personality and what I see in our prayer meetings and lack of attendance and lack of passion into them, if it is a reflection of what I am, then what I am needs to be fixed. Amen? So, no matter what the solution is, the solution has to start with me. And that is true of everybody that owns a mirror. The, the solution starts with me. If we need to be more earnest about prayer, I need to be more earnest about prayer. If we need to be more serious about prayer, I need to be more serious about prayer. If we need to be more adamant about praying for others, I need to be more adamant about praying for others. So for all of us, it has to start inside. <clears throat> so Rainer says that during the, the autopsies of failed churches, it was concluded that they were not willing to let go of their traditions. They didn't show mercy because only those who looked and acted like them were welcome in their church. But then he says across the board, churches who closed their doors had lost their passion to pray. Can, can, I, can I read a couple of autopsies? It's, just, it's a little bitty book if y'all want to get it. Most of Tom Rainer's books are a little bitty. They're, they're, they're pretty much just a few minute read. But let, let, me just, let me just share a couple of things that he says with you. <clears throat> the, the autopsy of the church is simply churches that have died. And of some of the ones that were there to the end, he's called them in. And he's done interviews with them to try to find out what failed. I appreciate his work. Because you put that out to find out what failed. And if you look around, that's happening in a lot of churches that are still hanging on. But he says, the man sitting across from me was not enjoying the moment. 
We're talking about a church that he loved. Indeed, the, the small group of two men and three women seemed ill at ease. We're talking about a church that died four years earlier. And Mike was the first to respond. He still referred to it as his church. He's still having trouble letting go. He's still grieving. And the last thing a grieving person needs to do is be part of an autopsy. But he agreed to do so with the hope that the process could help other churches in the future. And I told him that was the entire hope and purpose of this book. Autopsies of deceased churches. So he answered my questions. He added insights. He spoke slowly and methodically like a person who was still grieving because he was. This is a question that Rainer would ask people. Did the church members pray together? Well, inevitably, they would pause. They weren't sure how to answer the question. Because you see, most churches that die, most churches that close the doors, almost to the day that they shut the door, have some type of prayer together. May have been part of worship services. It may have been some type of fellowship, like a Wednesday evening meal. And they'd say, sure, we prayed together. So I asked them further. Describe your prayer times. Well, that's where the revelation would come. That's where we discovered together the question behind the question. As they begin to describe their prayer times together, they begin to understand more clearly. At this, at this one, a lady named Dorothy spoke. She said, well, yes, we prayed together as a church. Well, we had Wednesday night meal and prayer time. Well, we, when we were larger, we were able to afford cooks to prepare our meals. But as we lost members, we had to go to potluck. That was such a shame. You never know what anybody else is going to bring. Well, I remember one night we had 12 vegetables and one dessert and no meat, no bread. It was such a shame. She'd gotten off topic, so I reeled her back in. Tell me about the prayer time. Tell me about the prayer on Wednesday night. Well, Carl would pass out a list to all of us. Well, I interrupted because I don't know who Carl is. So I asked her to explain Carl. She said, well, Carl was a deacon and he had a copy machine in his office. And well, we used to have a church secretary and she would copy those, but we had to let her go because we couldn't afford her. Carl just kind of picked up the slack. You know, it was a sad day when we could no longer afford a full-time secretary. That was such a shame. Again, she's gotten off topic. So I reeled her back into the topic of prayer. She said, well, that's pretty much it. Carl would pass out the prayer list. One person would have the blessing and bless the food. And he'd pray for those on the list. And then we'd eat, except for that one time, of course, when we had no bread, no meat. That was such a shame. <clears throat> Talking with a... He said, the next question I asked was, do you really think that that's a meaningful time of prayer? Well, no, it was more like a routine or a ritual. Not coincidentally, prayer and the health of the church went hand in hand. When the church engaged in meaningful prayer, it becomes both the cause and the result of greater church health. He talked about the first church at Jerusalem, Acts 2.42, and talked about how they devoted themselves, and the, the apostles devoted themselves to teaching and breaking of bread and, and fellowship. And he talks a good bit here about that word devoted. They devoted themselves to prayer. They did a lot more than just reading names off a list. They did a lot more than just adding new prayer requests and needs. They, they, they devoted themselves into fervent, intense, passionate prayer. It's not an add-on to give them permission to eat the meal and just throw a few names into the prayer. It was the lifeblood of the early church. He says, I asked all of them the same questions. Do you really think that it was a meaningful time of prayer? In another interview, he's interviewing a man. He says, there was a day when prayer was powerful in our church. 
People would pray before the worship service. Can I tell you, I remember days, and I'm not looking back to the past. I'm not. But I'm telling you hand in hand some prayer that I know some things. I know, I know of, of the year after we built this building. What was that? 2000? What year we built this? 96. We built this in 96. I remember the year after we built this building. I remember coming in here early, and I remember people in that foyer. You take it as you will. Running their hands. Up the door facing and across the header. You know what they were doing? They were praying for anybody that walks through this door. Walking over to the next door. Praying. Running their hands up a door face across the header. How many of us do that? How many of us spend time? Listen, I'm not saying you don't. I'm, I'm not saying you don't. If there's anything inside of you, that ain't me. I don't know how many people do. I'm just asking the question. How many of us earnestly spend an hour a half hour, five minutes, 38 seconds praying for this service before we ever walked in here. How many of us got up this morning and included a, 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 a prayer time, a, a time to pour our lives and our heart into praying that the Spirit of God would move in here, that somebody would be saved in here today, that somebody's burdens would be lifted in here today, that somebody's sickness would be healed in here today, that somebody's hopelessness would be given hope in here today. How many of us this morning spend any time at all in prayer preparation for this service? You want to know what makes the service powerful? Prayer. You want to know what makes God move in your heart? Prayer for others. He says there was a time when, when prayer mattered. People would pray before the services. Small groups would spend time in prayer. And we prayed intensely for our community. And then it was like a light went on when he realized the community started changing, and we were afraid. We stopped serving the community. Tears welled up in his eyes. He said, when we stopped praying with the passion we once had, that's it. That was the beginning of the decline that led to the death of our church. We stopped taking prayer seriously. After the church started dying, no prayer, no hope. And the church started dying. The, the, the stories go on and on. The list go on and on. And, and we, see, we see problems that, that are identified. I'm not saying faith is the church is dying. I'm saying I don't ever want to get on that doorstep. I don't, know, I don't ever want to get close to that. I want us to be vibrant. I want us to make a difference in this town. I want to see the lost saved. I want to see lives changed. I want to see God using us to do something different. But God can't use the people that won't pray. Notice that last man that spoke there. He said... The thought of doing things to reach out in the community was frightening. He said the community had changed. You know what that means? We had a new breed of people moving in our neighborhood. We had some people moving in our neighborhood that we didn't want coming to our church. That's what he says. We're afraid of, of, of what was there. And across the board, church after church after church, this book and I will both deal with a lot of the same things, but, but church after church, they wanted their churches to grow. Do you understand that? In that first interview, there was five people there. That's how many people was left in that church when they finally shut the doors. Do you know those five people wanted that church to grow? There's not one deceased church, and they are closing their doors by the thousands every year. Every year, thousands of churches are closing their doors. Not one of them does not want to grow. Every single one of them has a desire to see the church grow, but they lack the sincere heart. 
for prayer. So the question becomes this. How important is prayer to us? Not going through the motions. Not, not a position of the body. An attitude of the heart. How important. Like touching the hem of the garment of God. How important is it? Effectual, fervent prayer. How important is our community? How much time? It's just personal questions, okay? I got, I got my own. I already told you. I got, I got my own to deal with. How much time? This is a personal question. Nobody knows the answer to but you and God. How much time have you spent this week praying for that community? How much time have you personally spent this week praying for the lost people that live around this church? You could walk to church here and they're on their way to hell. How much time have you spent individually? And this is, this is for all of us. Mine, same question. How much time have you spent individually praying for the power of God to fall on this community? How important are the lost people in our community? How important are the lost people that work around us? We see them on a daily basis. Are they important enough to pray for? Are they important enough to witness to? Are they important? I asked you guys last week, by the way, I've not gotten one text, not one phone call. And, and that's okay. I assume you're doing what I ask you to do. Pray. Pray with me and help me. God, how do we reach this town? What, what does the ministry look like that will reach the lost in this town? What does the ministry look like that will fit the slogan, changing our surroundings one soul at a time? I ask you guys, be praying. And pray for something that God would involve you in. Be, be willing to put hands and feet to it. Maybe even head it up. But be praying for vision as a church. God, what, what can we do? What will we reach out there? What, what, what can we do to reach the community? And I, I, I've, not gotten, I, I've not gotten one. And that's okay. It's only been a week. But is that community important enough to us to, to pray for them? And to, to, number one, come up with ministries. But number two, here's the big key. To fund ministries to reach out into that town i told you it doesn't do any good to come up with anything if we don't have a way to put money into it serving god costs us some stuff are we are we loving enough are we merciful enough to accept them as they are because jesus is come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden i will give you rest whosoever shall call upon the name of the lord there, there's no exclusions in god's economy if they're willing to come in, God's willing to, to bring them in. So, so last week, last week we looked at this statement. This was when I told you this is what we'd be doing this week. One of the greatest problems with today's church was the lack of mercy. The lack of mercy is a direct result of the lack of love for others. And the lack of love for others leads to a lack of prayer for others. Y'all remember that last week? We will never be more than our prayer life. We will never be more for God than our prayer life. We will never be stronger than our prayer life. We will never be used more greatly by God than our prayer life. Time spent in the secret place is what will determine our strength in the public place. 
time that we spend. Listen, your secret place can be in your closet. It can be riding in your car. It, it's time spent alone with God. We looked at the fact that, that Jesus Christ on the cross, he displayed love. He displayed mercy. He displayed grace. When, when he prayed, he prayed for the enemy. He prayed for the ones that rejected him. He prayed for the ones that spit on him. He prayed for the ones that beat him. He prayed for the ones that put the crown of thorns on his head. He prayed for the ones that mocked him. He set the example of how you and I are supposed to be living as children of God. Christ is our example. Amen? And he prayed for them. Amen? Amen means I agree. Did he pray for the enemy? Did he pray for those? In the Sermon on the Mount, he instructs us, chapter 5, verse 43, you've heard it has been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Jesus said, but I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and the good. And sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans do the same? If ye salute your brethren only, what do you have more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now that word perfect simply means complete. That's not what we think of in our English word perfect as in perfect, not having any flaws or, or any issues. It, it means that we're to have a good mental and moral character. We're, we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, in order to have a good mental and moral character, we have to have a heart for others. We, we can't be all caught up in everything about me and how this Billy Graham says, the Lord blesses people who blesses others. Ronald Reagan said, no one can help everyone, but everyone can help someone. Who have we helped this week? Who have we earnestly prayed for this week? What, what, what have we done? Have we put up a prayer that if God answered it, it would change somebody else's life? Or have all of our prayers been about, woe is me and me is mine? Back to... James 5, 16, James tells us the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's, that's not the casual prayer. That's, that's not the, the half-hearted prayer. That's not the social prayer when you just gather around, kind of like the lady talked about on Wednesdays and somebody did the blessing and read the list. It's not the social prayer. It is the effectual fervent prayer. Effectual fervent. One word in the original Greek means effective, complete, efficient, powerful. We just looked at those a few minutes ago. But it derives from a word that means Active or operative. The word effective means having, having the power of active operation. So, so effective, fervent prayer does not come from the mouth. It comes from the heart. When we are sincerely, earnestly praying for someone, it's because we feel it in the heart. Billy Graham says the important thing is not how we do it or when we do it. The important thing is the sincerity and depth of purpose with which we do it. A lot of Christians, a lot of Christians will say, I really don't know how to pray. I, I've never prayed for an hour. I, I've never prayed for, for 30 minutes. And so you think that makes you inferior. No, it doesn't. 
No, it doesn't. Do you know how to talk? Then talk to God. You got problems? Talk to God about them. Do you know somebody that's got problems? Talk to God about them. Do you know somebody that, that needs a touch? Talk to God about them. Do you know a family that's going through some, some hard times? Talk to God about them. It's not a formality thing. It's a communication thing. It's just us talking to God. So a lot of Christians will say, well, I, I don't really know how to pray. Some will say, well, I'm, I'm not really a strong Christian. Some will say, but I haven't been saved all that long. William Coper says, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon their knees. How about that one? Don't sound like we have to be too much, does it? Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon their knees. So, so let's take and put that on a personal level. See, that means no matter how strong or how weak you may see yourself as a Christian, you cause the devil to tremble when you pray. You cause the devil to be defeated when you read the word of God. You cause the devil to flee when you resist him, according to James 4, 7. Resist the devil and he will flee. So when you resist the devil, you cause the devil to flee. That, that's, that's book. But we're not likely to resist him if we haven't spent time in prayer. We're not likely to resist him if we don't have the Holy Spirit guiding us. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. The devil is going to do everything he can to tempt all of us. But temptation is not a sin. Temptation is an opportunity. I said temptation is an opportunity. When, when we reject the temptation, then we're resisting the devil. When we resist the devil, he has to flee. But here's what he knows. We're not likely to resist him if we're not on our knees. We're, we're more apt to fall for the temptation if we're not on our knees. But if we're on our knees, then he knows he's in trouble. Number one, because prayer is where we get our strength in times of temptations. Prayer is where we get our power in times of weakness. Anybody ever go through spiritual warfare? Feel like you're dealing with battles? You feel like Satan is just really riding you? Prayer is where we get our victory in times of war. Prayer is our victory over the devil. Man, you guys come on up. You guys come on and get your stuff. Pray, prayer has to be the priority. No church is stronger than the members of the church. We want to be a strong church? We need to be strong individuals. We can't be a church that prays if I'm not an individual that prays. We can't be a church that prays if you're not an individual that prays. We, we can't be anointed and, and, and empowered with the Holy Spirit of God if we're not a people of prayer. How many of you, fair question, anybody still awake? Half of you, I was to exercise just to make sure. How many of you, when you come to church on Sunday morning, you truly desire a spiritual encounter with God? This isn't about filling a pew. This isn't about a name on a roll. You notice we don't take roll, right? This isn't about seeing and being seen. This is all about him. Everything's about him. 
And if we come in here, if we, if, we, if we pray throughout the week and we pray earnestly for others and we seek for God to use our lives and we pray on Sunday mornings and prepare ourselves for worship before we ever come in here, we're going to get more than we ask for. Call unto me and I will answer and I will show thee what? Great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Exceeding abundantly above all you could ask or think. You can't even ask God to do in here what God wants to do in here. We don't even have the ability to comprehend all that God wants to do in our lives. We, we don't have the ability to even look and see all that God has in store and all that God has planned for a surrendered people. But there's no such thing as a surrendered people who does not pray. If we're not praying, we're not surrendered. There's just no other way to say it. So, so how many of you believe that there is power in earnest prayer? Oh, yeah, we're getting somewhere now. So, so how many believe that there is power and there is forgiveness and there is healing in our own lives when we pray for others? Especially those who have offended us. Anybody think of anybody that's offended you? <laughs> that ain't a trick question. That's 2023. Anybody think of anybody that you really would love to just put them in their place? Hmm. Anybody think of anybody you really just soon bust them in the nose? Everybody just thought of somebody. Everybody's been offended by somebody. I mean, we're in a world where the devil's throwing temptations and, and that's part of it. What if we put God to the test? You know the one you just thought of? That's who I want you to come to this altar and pray for right now. You want to see what God can do in your life? The one that you just thought of? The one that you have no use for? The one that, that, that the very thought of them made you mad? No matter what they've done. You want to see God do something in your life? I want to ask everybody to stand. You want to see God do, start doing stuff in your life? You see this altar? I know you can pray where you're at. But that's a scapegoat right now. Do you want to see God move enough for you to bring somebody that is offensive to you and put their name on this altar and say, God, I just want you to bless them. I'm not telling you you got to like them. I've had to pray for people that I didn't like. I've had to pray for people that I had absolutely no use for. And I prayed some of the stupidest prayers ever offered to mankind. God, I can't stand them, and you know I can't stand them. But I promise you this if you'll come pray for them, God will do something in you. When we learn to pray for others effectively, God will begin to do things in here that we can't explain. When we begin to call on him and not just call on him for what I want, what I need, for what I think, and for what I expect. When we begin to call on him and ask him to bless others, God will begin to show up and do things. I know we've all got needs. I know we've all got problems and issues and we'd love to see God do things in our own lives. I can't think of a better place to, to be real in prayer pray for other people you guys pray y'all go ahead and sing
bowed and eyes closed just for a minute. Is there anybody in here, anybody out there on live stream who's never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? It all starts with a prayer. Earnest prayer doesn't come from the lost. God doesn't have an open working relationship with the lost. God has an open working relationship with his children. So you are one prayer away from being a child of God. We're born into sin, separated from God by our sin and iniquity, but Jesus Christ came and paid the price. And the gift is for whosoever will. Payment, the penalty for my sin and yours was paid at Calvary's cross by Jesus Christ. And there's only one way to get to heaven, and his name is Jesus. It's not some complicated thing. God simplified it in this. Father, I know I'm a sinner. And I'm asking you right now to forgive me of my sins and to save my soul. I don't want to live that way any longer. I don't want to be like that any longer. I want to be a child of the King. I want to go to heaven when I die. Lord, I'm asking you to save my soul, that you can write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life, that I might be the child of God. You pray those things in Jesus' name. It's not some poem, not something you have to recite and put out and get perfectly right. You surrender your heart to God and ask him to forgive you of your sins, and he's faithful and just. Father, thank you so much, God. Thank you for your love and your mercy, God. Thank you. Well, thank you for Faith Baptist Church, God. Thank you for every person standing in this room, for those who are on vacation, couldn't be here today, for those who are watching live stream, however they are, God. Thank you, Father, for this group that you put together called Faith Baptist Church. God, I pray you'd unite us as one. Father, I pray that when we come together, Father, it'd just be a time of, of worship, God, a time of great celebration, a time of restoration within us, God. May we come into your house and walk out of here strengthened and energized, God, to, to go out and to serve you better. God, forgive us for the sin of prayerlessness. And God, help us to be a people adamant about prayer. Give us a passionate heart to pray for others, God. Lord, thank you for thorns in our own flesh that remind us of how we ought to pray. Thank you for things in our own lives that remind us how we ought to be praying for others, God. I pray you'd help us, Father. Help us, Father, to be mindful. Help us to be a, a prayer warrior, God, people of adamant prayer. We love you, Father. You've been good to us. I ask you to go before us, Father, with, with each of these here now. Put a hedge of protection around them and their families. Open the windows of heaven, God. Pour out blessings on their lives. That there be not room enough to receive it, God. We love you, Father. You've been good to us. I just want to tell you thank you in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Love on somebody.